So thank you for that information, Chris. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think when you add all of that together, the running back thing last year was just kind of a, a bad luck sort of deal. Um, I think with wide receiver, like, I don't know. I, I feel like this whole Georgia Bama wide receiver depth thing has just been beaten to death at this point. But, uh, I think Alabama, you know, they were in more close games last year than Georgia was, so they played their starters a lot more snaps, which means they didn't play second and third line guys quite as much. And because of that, uh, I don't know that they really just had the opportunity to develop as much depth. I also think philosophically they're a program that does like to, you know, see their guys winning national awards and all of that. And Todd Monken is an offensive coordinator who likes to uh, have, you know, seven, eight, nine guys that you could put on film as touchdown threats and create matchup problems across the field. So that is my two cents on that one. Um, all right. I'm going to, I'm going to defer to, to Jason and Dustin on this one. We got a recruiting question. Which defensive lineman from the class of 23 ultimately commit to UGA? Oh, uh, let's go Jordan Hall. Okay. And, and let's go Jordan Hall from what at least two people have told me has already told our coaches he's coming. So let's just drop that one real quick. Oh, nice. There you go. Uh, I mean, do you want, like, I guess since we're talking defensive linemen, um, I know that edges are not defensive linemen, but but what are you hearing on UGA's edge class at this point in time? I know they're in on a lot of different guys. Um, right now, as far as edge goes, I would go, and uh, which, well, I guess you could start off in, Let's talk real quick about uh, Keon Keeley decommitting from Notre Dame. I, I would say we were one of the first ones to really start. I don't know. I guess it came public a couple of months or so ago that we were still recruiting him. And and, and then it's Alabama was recruiting him, and now he's decommitted. And so I would expect him to go to Alabama. I mean, we might get a visit out of it. But, I mean, I'll just be honest. It's – Right now, we're at best. I had on the table. I think he's going to Alabama. So, so I would, I would rule him out. But where that would actually probably help us is the fact that Alabama will get Keeley, and then that's less competition for Damon Wilson. So, if I had to guess right now, I would say we keep Gabe Harris, who is uh, now at IMG Academy, by the way. Um, and Sam Samuel and Pimba and Damon Wilson would be who I say we get in the edge class. I don't for a long time, and I think we still have a great chance of getting him for a long time. Many people thought we led for uh Russell from Carver Montgomery. And if I had to just, I mean, and this is just guessing, we won't know until probably way closer to December exactly how these guys are going to end up but uh, I would think right now the Carver-Montgomery duo James Smith and Quay Russaw could end up in Alabama and then we get Mpemba and Damon Wilson to go with Gabe Harris. 
that would be a pretty strong group. Yeah, I mean, you can't go you can't go wrong with any of these guys. And so, I mean, sure. basically, basically those three, four edge players, Georgia and Alabama, is more than likely just get two apiece. Do you see um, Do you see Parker anywhere as maybe a backup option if any of those don't work out? As a backup option, yes. As far as the defensive line goes, I I would say Jordan Hall is your you know top, very very top. We have to get him target, and then I still wouldn't close the book on uh, Xavier McLeod committing today. I definitely wouldn't close the book on that yet. He almost delayed it. Um, then you have Hobbs, uh, Davin Hobbs, David Hobbs from North Carolina. He's a huge, huge target now. And who he will be, from what I'm told, he will be in Atlanta for the Georgia Oregon game. And Parker, honestly, I've heard different things on Parker. He's from Central Phoenix City, which is where I played, if you want to call it playing, if you want to call it sitting in the bench playing. <laughs> it's where I played and where I helped coach some too. So, so I've, you know, all the connections in the world there except the head coach, Bo Nix's dad, who hates my guts. But uh, that's a whole different story. So I'll figure We're going to need that story one night, but we'll, oh, we'll spare it, you tonight. It, it has to do with. Uh, has to do with Meeks. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, right now, I'm leaning more towards Parker still as a backup option right now, but that just changed like today. So, so I know somebody who would very, very, very much know. So I'll find out more on him. But, but yeah. top top options now, I would say Hall, uh, Hobbs. Don't close the book on McLeod and Marquise. Marquise deal is a big, big one. Awesome. Thanks for that update. Uh, Geo Devin asks, likelihood Auburn or LSU go winless in SEC play? Uh, my answer to that would be 0%. I don't think that either of them are going to go winless. Um, Auburn gets Missouri. I think that they'll – do fine. I actually think a lot of people are sleeping on Auburn a little bit. I don't think they're going to like compete for the division, but uh, I think the guys, the, the beauty of the transfer portal is like the guys that want to leave are gone. And so the guys that are left, uh, I think are pretty well invested in what they're doing there. I don't think the craziness that went on with Brian Harson in the spring is going to affect them. The on-field product as much as a lot of people expect it to this fall. Um, and, yeah, I mean, LSU is still a top five, top ten composite-ranked roster in college football when it comes to recruiting talent. They're they're not going to go winless in SEC play. Any any disagreements there from my co-host? No, I kind of I heard the same thing, you know, when somebody was questioning the Arizona State team. Uh, you know, Herm had tremendous attrition there. But it's the same thing. Like, it's a great point, you know. The guys that are there are there to to play football, you know. I mean, there obviously there might be some quit in some of the guys, but no, there's I think there's zero chance LSU goes undefeated. Very little, I mean, less than zero chance, if you will. And I think Auburn's definitely gonna 
get two or three wins. If not, you know, you know, you know four and four. They're just plenty of talent there, and you know, Parsons a good coach. Things are off to a rocky start there, but they're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be okay for sure. All right, uh, Joe Bo's dog asks a obligatory weekly update on Julian Sand, please. Um, I'll take this one real quick. Uh, I actually uh, was in contact with him this week. I think that you'll see him commit in early October, but you know he's a 16-year-old kid, so he could change his mind at any time. Uh, likelihood of three plus 500 yard receivers would be only the fourth time this century for Georgia to do so. Uh, I think it's very high. Um, I, I kind of get tired of the com- comparisons to past teams. I think the offensive um, game plan for not only Georgia, but for all of college football has changed so that, you know, we're, we're not running the ball as much, you know, I know it's close to a 50, 50 share, but you know, in 2017, Georgia ran at 60 something for 67% of the time. So, um, and you've got weapons that can get the ball from behind the scrimmage and do something with it to deep downfield, um, you know, with AD Mitchell and, you know, some of the guys coming up. So uh, I think there's a lot more ways to get receiving yards than, you know, in 2002, 2003. So um, I can see at least three guys getting 500 yards. Um, possibly even a running back, you know, if if uh, Monken can get his guy and and uh, they can catch the ball and, and go for a bunch. So that's I'll, I mean, that, that's where I feel about it. I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a uh, like unless you just have a bunch of guys that you know are stacking up yards early in the season go down with injuries uh i would be shocked if there's not at least three if not maybe more darnell washington might get 500 yards just dragging guys down the field (laughs) (laughs) that would make me extremely happy to see him just have a great year man i mean he's put in a lot of work He's a special talent physically and otherwise, and yeah, and he can—he's going to be tough to bring down if he's healthy. Poor, it's poor, like he's taking care of his body pretty good too this off season. Poor Dan Jackson got drug about thirty yards down the field the other day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, again, I mean, again. <laughs> well, he didn't get drug in the spring game two years ago. He just uh, got trucked. Got trucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I can't really. Uh, and Marler has to how much we have been hearing good things about Darnell Washington being like, you know, in potential all American type form uh, throughout fall camp. Now, will he get enough touches to be an all American? I don't know, but like what he's doing pass catching is very, very impressive. And he's just swallowing folks up in the run game. So, um, yeah, I think you can be excited about that if you're a Georgia fan. Uh, all right. Bruce asks, who are going to be the guards? How is Tate Ratledge? How is Kendall Milton? Um, I'll take the Ratledge and Milton questions real quick. Uh, 
both you know milton has a grade one hamstring strain uh ratledge is dealing with turf toe not related to the injury that he had last season on the foot but yeah i mean i think they're being very 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 careful with both of those guys uh in practice they're getting limited reps when they are seeing reps it's usually in individual drills they don't really want those guys taking too much contact in 11 on 11 type stuff right now um you know they're I think trying to work that balance between keeping those guys in football shape and keeping them sharp and letting them get healthy, which is obviously, you know, a a day by day kind of dilemma of, of trying to figure out, you know, what, what's the right amount of action for, for those guys each practice session. But they're definitely, I think, going to err on the side of caution. They sort of know what they have in both of those guys. It's more a, matter of you know getting them to the meaningful moments of the season in the best shape they possibly can um for the guards i think if ratledge is healthy he's gonna start and it sounds like uh right now that devin willick would be at left guard with ratledge at right guard but if ratledge isn't able to play versus oregon i think you have a really interesting situation Jason, did you want to jump in here? Yeah, well, my, I guess my, I guess probably more of a question. If, if Radledge so far hasn't, hasn't been going with the ones, it's been more Jared Wilson, mm-hmm. who, you know, is, I guess that's his position, if you want to call it that. So the question would be, are we talking, are we going to put a guard there? Or is it going to be best man in? And when Ernest Green is not injured, is he the best man in? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's a great question. Uh, If you're a Dog Central subscriber, you might already know this, but I'll just tease it right now. Because if you're not, you should strongly consider being one. Um, Amarius Mims actually took uh, a significant amount of reps at, at guard today in practice, which uh, is something that, you know, I, surprised me quite a bit just because it, it's always seemed like he'd be a guy at tackle. But if you're talking about your best five, regardless of position, um, you know, you would think that, that maybe Green or Mims would be the guy to, to come in in place of Ratledge. Okay, uh, competitive advantage for Dan Lanning coaching against his old team. Does he go over individual tendencies on the defense and offense along with scheme tendencies with his new staff and players? So basically, you know, how much knowledge Lanning has, how much do you think that's going to affect the outcome of the Oregon game? I think that um... – you know, I was actually listening to your friend's Chapel Bell Curve. Nathan brought up a, a good point. You know, especially early in the season, early in games, there's a lot of scripted plays. I can see Lanning having, you know, a couple uh, good ways to attack Georgia in the beginning of that game and when they're on script. And I think that Kirby has shown many times, really against like Auburn and those players where, where, where you've got a, you know, a quarterback that's mobile that you're going to just see what they're trying to do and react to that. And, you know, I remember that 27 – 2017 SEC championship game. That's kind of what he did. He actually spoke about it in the post game. He was like, you got to see what they do. And they react to that. 
So I can see Oregon having some success and keeping it close, you know, midway through the, you know, second quarter and then, you know, talent and, you know, uh, will and scheme, well, I think will take over and Georgia will um, uh, win that game easily. But I can see uh, Oregon having success early, especially with Dan Lanning, probably knowing some areas where he can attack and, and, and also more importantly areas to avoid ta- attacking from an offensive side. Yeah, and I think you can also flip that around and say that Kirby has been with him a lot of his developmental years from Bama all the way to Georgia. So I think he's going to pretty much know how to scheme for him as well. So we, are we thinking this is going to be play, played pretty close to the vest early? And we Are we looking a low total in that game? or, or what's? I mean, that's a good point. You know, it, it works on both sides from, you know, knowing the tendencies of, of – they all have the same tendencies. They came up from the same tree, if you will. This, this actually brings me back to Sam Pittman. I remember watching. He's one of my favorite coaches ever, so I watched, like, all of his interviews. And when Arkansas was about to play Georgia, they actually – and I'll, I'll see if I can find it and post it later. They actually asked him that exact question. And, and he said something to the effect of it might help a little bit knowing player tendencies, but he knows that – Kirby and Munkin will switch things around enough that any old tendencies that were there, it won't matter because they'll switch it up enough for him, you know, so so he won't have an advantage there. Yeah, that's interesting to think about. I mean, I think the last two times you've seen Georgia go against a former assistant, it ha- I mean, you know, the first half of that Arkansas game in 2020, the COVID year was – a nightmare for Georgia. How much of that was like Arkansas having knowledge of Georgia's scheme and how much of it was a wacky COVID year and starting Dewan Mathis is kind of, you know, up in the air. But uh, I do think, you know, that Tennessee game when they went up there in 2019 and Jim Chaney was the uh, coordinator at Tennessee, like, he was able to scheme up a couple touchdowns early in that game against the defense. They went right down the field the first two drives, and then Georgia adjusted, and, and that was that. And, they, you know, I think they won that game by, like, 30 points. But um, I am curious to see. I think, it, I think it helps Oregon some, but I also think it helps Georgia to a certain extent because Kirby Smart has installed that defense many more times than Dan Lanning has, and I, I do believe that – you know, he'll be able to tell Monken like, hey, this is, you know, this is what's hard to grasp for, uh, you know, new players in this system when they're first trying to learn it. But it, it's definitely something to watch. It's an interesting storyline for that game. And, I mean, with that spread being 18 points, it is something that, you know, may, may swing how you would uh, wager that game if, if you think that it's going to allow Oregon to – to get a couple nice drives in or, you know, slow some things Georgia's doing early before Georgia's able to kind of pull away, then that that changes how you want to bet it, right? It definitely does. I mean, I'm still thinking, you know, it was uh, circa released some new updated numbers and that line didn't move at all. I still want to see how that move, that game moves late. Uh, I just think 18 is such a big number for – um, but you know, I looked at it and in neutral site game kickoff games, I mean, 
big team and big numbers often cover by the favorites a lot, but you know, that's, it's a small sample size still, you know, considering it's not, it's only been probably really less than a decade or these big, big uh, neutral site games to kick off the season. But I just, I just, I don't know. That's a big number, man. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, okay. Woodstock asks, Last week on Ask Dog Central, she asked Jason who he thought the next three Georgia commits would be. Jason said he thought uh, one and two would be Anthony Evans and Julian Sayan, but stopped short of saying who he thought number three would be. Do you still think Anthony Evans and Julian Sayan are one and two, and can you answer tonight who you think number three might be? We're putting you on the spot, buddy. I love this, I love this question. That that is a good question. <laughs> oh, I want to, but I don't think I can yet. Or else it'll hurt where it's coming from. I I would still go Anthony Evans and Julian saying and what's today? Thursday? Yep. <laughs> Give me until Monday on the third one. All right. You don't have a 2024 guy, Jason? Give me until Monday on the third one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Worst case scenario, you got Tyler Williams to be a backup option, but I think it happens before then. Someone else. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll throw out some of the best hints I can throw out without saying who it is so I don't get in trouble. Fair enough. Keep an eye on the Dog Central Forum for those hints. Um, all right, looking at the YouTube chat, I don't see any uh, questions at the moment. So I'm going to start. Harry, Harry, Harry had a good point. Just to interrupt real quick. He had a good point. He said he's got an Auburn guy saying the chemistry is good over there. Kind of going back to that early question about, you know, seeing Auburn going winless and stuff. So. Um, you know, kind of going along with what you said, Graham, that those guys are, you know, haven't bailed yet, so they're probably committed. And I didn't see any other questions there, too, but I didn't want to – also, we appreciate you guys jumping in the YouTube chat. Harry is always there for us. We got we got some good folks over there. Sorry, I'll take it over, Graham. All right. Uh, we got some folks that have requested to speak. Scott, we're going to add you in here. And, uh, yeah, we'll start – putting folks in the queue so if you have questions um come on in and we will answer hey how you doing sirs good how are you i'm good we're we're almost there we're almost there uh one (laughs) one thing is i think this is relatively new to the quarterback situation we've had do you guys feel like us having a more mobile quarterback adds a real thorn in dan laning's side you know the same way that Bo could potentially. And if you had to pick a weak spot of the defense that you think takes more time to grow, which position group is it and why? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, like, that was something uh, Kirby Smart talked a lot about at media days and has kind of spoken about recently is just – not too many people are giving Stetson Bennett uh, maybe the credit that he deserves for some of the plays he made with his legs last year. Uh, he was, you know, 
very, very good in terms of getting outside of the pocket and like that play against Tennessee, super athletic, right? Um, when it comes to the kind of, you know, the equation of like how much will that hurt Oregon, they have pretty good speed at linebacker uh, with, with flow and, uh, and so well, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know, but maybe, maybe it forces them to spy one of those guys at some point and that creates a mismatch for you in coverage. I mean, everything affects everything to yeah. an extent, right? Um, See, that's what I was hoping for is, you know, us to find ourselves one-on-one with one of those guys and make the gamble on Brock versus whomever at linebacker. Yeah, for sure. That's funny you bring it up. I'm actually working on the sort of an article on the tight ends for our position previews. And, like, I mean, yeah, if you can get any of those guys matched up on a linebacker, and in most cases, if you can get them matched up on a safety, like, that's going to be a win, right? So if if Stetson being mobile and doing some zone read early in the game and just kind of showing them a few looks with him using his legs forces them to respect that and, you know, occupies one of those linebackers, then it probably does, you know, fall down the line and create a, a match that you want somewhere else. What was the second part of your question? I'm sorry. Uh, it's all good. I know I'm long-winded. So uh, the group, a position group on the defense, you feel like will take the longest amount of time to learn and grow to kind of fit what we'll, we'll need if we're going to go back to the playoffs. Yeah, I would say the the inside linebackers right now. I mean, that, that was a really – special trio that they had last year and uh just Kirby Smart and Glenn Schumann ask a lot out of those guys from a mental standpoint and a physical standpoint and I think you know those guys are maybe not quite where they want them to be at this point in camp yeah the the easy answer just in general and football general I would say would be defensive lines just because you need those guys to be ready in the trenches and Especially in the SEC, to be blocked by three hundred and forty-pound offensive linemen, but but especially in in Georgia's defense, it's the middle linebackers. I mean, because number one, they have to make so many calls, and and guys like Roquan and the Kobe Dean were so good at that. Replacing them was just oh my gosh, yeah, it's just and, crazy. And you know, we were so good at tackling uh, from the linebacker. Uh, position last year at, you know, those passes underneath in the middle. Um, and certainly, you know, you've got the quarterbacks, which, you know, either their job is not simple, but they've got, you know, their job is straightforward and, and the safeties to a lesser degree, but still those linebackers, like you say, have to make a lot of calls. They got to cover, they got to, they got to protect the run. It's definitely a spot that they will have to grow into probably more so than some of the other guys. My two cents. Yeah. I, I have a follow-up on that just real quick. I feel like this defensive line unit, or at least the edges and the young guys, MJJ, Williams, all those guys, I feel like the unit as a whole is going to be faster. I know we're talking about you know the interior guys and linebackers, back, inside linebackers, but something just tells me we're building for faster, bigger-framed guys that are going to be you know, kind of causing havoc just by putting four, you know, instead of having to send that inside pressure that we seem to have to send a good bit. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Georgia got a lot of pressure from its front seven last year, but maybe not always coming from, you know, the, the defensive line and the front four, 
right? Like Nolan Smith came on very strong at the end of the year, as did Robert Beal. But, uh, you know, it's not normal to have like a defensive tackle uh, bringing a lot of pressure like Devontae Wyatt did. And, I mean, we know what Jordan Davis could do when he wasn't being double and triple teamed. I think this group, you know, I don't think they're going to be as sound in, in a lot of ways as Georgia's front four was last year. But I actually think that, like, with Michael Williams and Jalen Carter and Ingram Dawkins, you are going to see them uh, get more pressure with, with that four than maybe they did with the four they had last year. All right. Well, guys, I really appreciate it. I'll, I'll switch back to listeners so I can hear some uh, more questions. Right on. Always enjoy having you on, Scott. Uh, real quick, I've got a uh, question from the YouTube chat. And if anyone has questions or wants to jump in, request to speak. But um, a couple questions. So Christopher Wilson asks, it seems to me that Kirby got more grief for his offensive issues than Ryan Day gets for his defensive issues. Thoughts? One of my co-hosts jump in here. Uh, I, I think both coaches are pretty well respected, honestly. I think this is all – it's talking season. Um, and, you know, Kirby – I mean, like, there's still lingering issues about – I think specifically it's because Stetson Bennett still is such a lightning rod for discussion and stuff. But, you know, I, I hear as much praise about Todd Monken and, and keeping him on board and, and, and the players that they're executing this offense with. I hear a lot of talk about how efficient it was, you know, there, there's questions to whether they can repeat it, but I don't think that's a necessarily of, of questioning Kirby's offensive, you know, mindset or anything like that. I mean, and I think honestly, I think day gets, plenty of grief about his defense and he spoke about that at big 10 and addressed it specifically. He said, there's plenty of talent. We should be a top 10 defense next year. So I, I just don't see, I, I kind of see this as, you know, just a, just a talk radio stuff, something to fill the airways up with me, honestly, because I think both coaches are respected, you know, they're, they're number two, you know, and I think if, if they give up another season of, you know, 5.5 yards per play on defense and, 45% success rate and they can't get to it because their defense holds them back. Then I think he's going to get a lot of heat. And I, I think if Kirby doesn't repeat this year and, and still puts up good, good, I just don't think it's the same, uh, you know, Kirby's not going to get as much grief if he doesn't repeat as if as day doesn't make it this year with all the talent he's got. So, you know, that's not much of an answer, but I just don't think it's really a big deal. Honestly, I think Kirby's answered the bell on that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, they are both very good coaches. Uh, I, I know that George is getting negatively recruited a lot when it comes to not having a 1,000-yard wide receiver since 2002. Um, I don't know that Ohio State, you know, I, I, like they might be getting negatively recruited, but they, you know, I mean, they're, they're signing some, some good defensive players either way, right? So it's tough to say if there's a huge – like result or barrier that's happening for them in that regard. But I, I think Ryan Day's defensive issue is like, I don't know, it, it was a coordinator issue in my opinion. Like when Jeff Halfley was there as a defensive coordinator, they were very, very good. Uh, he leaves. I 
forget off the top of my head who they had as the coordinator last year, but clearly they struggled. Um, you know, they bring in uh, Knowles from Oklahoma State, who I think is a good coordinator, but, you know, the only top 10 defense he's ever had was last year. It usually takes a few years to teach that scheme. So I'm not expecting Ohio State to all of a sudden become like a dominant defense. Uh, I did just share in the chat a tweet from earlier in July. I did an article on Georgia's wide receiver stats, whether or not they actually have a development problem. Um, if you look at game state type situations, uh, you're you're going to see like they, you know, they're very productive and <clears throat> they have a very efficient passing offense. Stetson Bennett was quite explosive last year um when they asked him to be i do think like any offense you want to keep him out of third and long but i mean he was third in the country in quarterback rating fourth i'm sorry third in qbr fourth in traditional quarterback rating third in yards per attempt with 10 uh 53.7 completion on throws over 20 plus yards which was second in the sec 62.2 completion on throws between 10 and 19 yards also second in the SEC, Georgia was second in the Power Five with 14.4 yards per completion. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there you can read. But uh, his completion percentage in games when Georgia was winning by one to seven points was about seven, eight points higher than Bryce Young's. Uh, his QB rating was about 50 points higher. So, granted, Georgia wasn't in very many uh, one to seven point games for very long. So, you know, that definitely skews the stat, but when that offense is wide open and they're not in kill clock mode, they are very, very, very lethal. Honestly, I, I think it's how you choose the way to look at it because the same talking heads that always talk about Georgia and their wide receivers and their quarterback situation the second Georgia, just say Kirby Smart at the last second of the season, decided to go total Ohio State offense and chunk the ball down the field. And, I mean, we just look like Ohio State and Stetson Minute throws for 4,000 yards and we have two 1,000-yard receivers. The same people aren't going to say anything about that. They're going to be saying, well, what happened to Georgia and their running backs? What happened to RBU? It's honestly the way you choose to look at it. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, we spent years listening to Georgia fans ask why tight ends weren't seeing more targets, and then Brock Bowers, you know, has the best tight end season maybe by ever by a freshman in college football, and everyone's asking, you know, why you're not seeing uh, like more more passes to the wide receivers or more passes to running backs out of the backfield, and it's just there's there's only so many plays in a season, and uh, so many plays that happen in close games where, you know, it's it's really appropriate to run your offense. And it's it's really with some with some people, it's basically you're gonna be damned if you do and damned if you don't. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I mean with how Georgia is recruited over the Kirby Smart tenure and what they've done in the East, like the the programs they recruit against are gonna they're gonna try to find anything they can to negatively recruit against UGA. Um because they have to. It's their job to try and <laughs> convince guys to go to their school instead of Georgia. Um, 
All right, Chris. Uh, I'm sorry. Where was that question? Uh, oh, Tracy Malone asks, who will be a bigger early test, South Carolina or Auburn? I would uh, think South Carolina since it's on the road. I think and, that, and, that environment's and earlier. underrated. <laughs> I feel like South Carolina has definitely got that game circled. You know, I don't know if I can say it's their Super Bowl, but uh, or their you know their biggest game of the year. But they they've got that one circled. I think they're going to be ready. It's going to be hot as Hades. It's a noon kick, which I think uh, will be pretty hyped up. I don't. I haven't looked at the rest of the schedule, but it's certainly going to be one of those now highlighted games noon kickoff instead of just sort of the, it used to be the dregs of the schedule but yeah I, I i expect that being on the road earlier in the season with a new quarterback they're going to be fired up and i think auburn you know we put that just at home i think it's going to be a different vibe and i think uh we should beat both teams handily dustin were you going to say something else i think that the other thing on the south carolina game i think it helps that they they go on the road to Arkansas the week before, but for me living in South Carolina, I can tell you that's probably one of their most amped up games for the year. I think with their season ticket plans, that's the only one that they have like a $150 package, and that's the only game that it doesn't include. So I think that's going to be a very high demand for. And like I said earlier, that's that's probably the one of the most underrated environments um, in the SEC on the road. Yeah, I agree with that. It's a very hard place to play, and it's hot. Uh, we actually shared on Tuesday on our practice report that uh, that's a game that Georgia's staff has been uh, emphasizing quite a bit like throughout fall camp when they have these guys out in the heat of the day and you're starting to get tired. You know, They're, they're reminding this team, like, you're going to be playing in the fourth quarter it's in Columbia, South Carolina in a noon game in about a month and it's going to be hot as hell and y'all got to be ready for it. So yeah, I think just on the heat alone, it's difficult. Uh, I think, you know, you get Auburn at home. So um, I, I agree with, with you guys on, on South Carolina being the tougher draw there, especially that early in the season. Um, Lane asks, Starting to get a little concerned on the recruiting front. It's been dead and seems like we've missed on some guys lately. Kirby normally closes hard near signing day. Thoughts? I'll defer. Uh, There's absolutely nothing to worry about. And I read this, gosh, somewhere else. And I probably shouldn't say it if I can't give them credit for it. I think it was either 24-7 or on three. I'll, I'll try to find it and give them the right credit for it. But it said at the same time last year, like nine of our top 12 commits weren't even committed yet. And, and, and what we're seeing is basically these guys are jumping early to take a spot. And what we're going to find out is when these guys, when the season starts and and these guys start seeing their teams, you know, starting off two and four, three and three, and and Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State and whoever smoking everybody, 
you know, they're going to start seeing, okay, wait a minute. And and you'll see you'll see some flips happen. And I'm I'm not worried about it one bit. And and the other thing that everybody always wants to concentrate on is okay, you know, Georgia won the national championship last year, so we should be getting everybody this year. Usually that's not the way it happens because the guys this year were already kind of so far in the recruitment when Georgia won the national championship. I, I don't think you're going to see a huge difference year one, but year two, three, and four is when you're really going to start seeing it. That's when these younger guys watch Georgia on national TV saying, oh, the Georgia Bulldogs won the national championship, and they watched it themselves, and they felt a part of it, and it was early in their recruitment. That That's where you're going to start seeing the big difference. So if the 2024 class goes slow and we don't have the – number one or two class of the nation, then I would say worry. But I, I, I wouldn't worry about the 2023 class one bit. Yeah, and I think another thing that Jason probably would attest to is this is probably with the uh, defensive line, with the draft reduction being down, and we finally put that nipped that in the bud. This has probably been the first time we've just been – I mean, you can see all the options we have on the inside and the outside of the line and middle linebackers. Um, Kirby's – Kirby has a, his pick of the liver, litter more so than he did in the past. Um, I mean, I, I would think the only one really is probably offensive line. So we probably can't just go pick what we want right now, but um, most of the stuff that we've been going for, we've had backup options that we can go to if we miss out on our top guys. Well, and, and this isn't just making excuses for him and all that, but, I mean, if you look at the defensive linemen that we've lost, you look at Kelby Collins, we were off and on with him. You look at Xavier McLeod. We, I mean, we just really, really turned the heat up on him lately. You look at Cameron James. Honestly, we wanted him bad. Florida just got on him earlier. I mean, you can really count that as a loss because Florida just beat us to him. Like uh, Ricky Gibson, same thing. Tennessee was on him earlier. We turned up the heat at the end. So, I mean, it's, it's not like we're losing on, like, our very, very, very top options on the defensive line. Like our top two options on top two, what I've been told on the board for the defensive line are Jamal Jarrett and Jordan Hall. If we get those two, anybody after them is gravy. And and on the offensive line, for number one, it's just a down year on the offensive line. I mean, you have a new offensive line coach. And, I mean, honestly, yeah, I'm making excuses for the offensive line recruiting, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I mean, I don't, I don't know of any real top, top, top options that we've, that we've lost on, on the offensive line, to be honest. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see how 2024 goes with the offensive line. Um, I've got, Mike requested to speak here, and then we've got some other questions that have been tweeted to us that we will uh, jump in on. Mike, I'm adding you now, so as soon as you get in here, uh, unmute yourself and fire away, sir. Hey, my question is about uh, actually the uh, backup quarterback. Um, since we know Stetson's taking reps with all the ones, I want to know which which backup quarterback actually looks like he might, you know, make it to number two, or who could possibly be the starter next year since we know Stetson's leaving. I talked to somebody who was actually at the scrimmage last week, and he said surprisingly to him, 
that Gunnar Stockton looked more comfortable than the other two. Um, so, I mean, I, I know Gunnar Stockton probably won't make number two, but um, I was just wondering what you've been hearing about who's possibly going to be backup Stetson. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for the question, Mike. Um, I think the other quarterbacks have been consistently inconsistent. Uh, that's that's really the best way to put it. If I had to, like, I I was told early in camp that that Gunner looked much more uh, poised and just kind of in grasp of things than he did in the spring, and it seems like that's that's carried over and has been kind of consistent feedback. Um, I think he may, you know, he may be pushing Vandergrift for that that third spot in the quarterback rotation. But then today, uh, you know, when I'm talking to sources about practice, it sounds like Vandergrift threw the ball really well in team drills, right? So it's, it's, it's a little hard to read the picture right now. I think the, these next two scrimmages that they have will go a long way to determining that depth chart. Um, if anything happened to Stetson, I, I think, you know, Carson Beck's coming in. He's the guy that, that knows the offense the best and, probably your best chance at success but if you want my honest you know uh opinion on who might be the guy in, in 2023 um i'm not 100% sure that that guy is in the room right now um I, I think there is a possibility you see georgia go to the portal but i think all of that just depends on on how these guys perform not just through the rest of fall camp but throughout the season and bowl practices and all of that good stuff. And the tough thing with young quarterbacks is like the light can come on at any time. Uh, so I don't, I don't want anyone to hear this and think that I'm like slamming anybody. It's, it's just hard to play. It's hard to play quarterback at high level college football. Um, all those guys have talents and things that they bring to the table, but it doesn't sound like any of them have really, you know, put, put that together on a, consistent basis right now to where you can point to it and say uh you know we're definitely gonna be comfortable rolling with this guy in 2023 and he's kind of the heir apparent all right um so from the uh twitter questions uh keith mccants asks how is the defensive line looking so far can they be effective with Zion Logue as a nose tackle, keeping blockers off the linebackers? Someone else want to grab this one? I think, I mean, obviously, and for good reason, you know, everybody's, no matter where it is, been talking about the offense has been ahead of the defense. And, you know, the, obviously offense is more experienced, defense is younger. And, and I think one way you have to look at it is, and this is the reason recruits come to places like Georgia and Alabama is a, a lot of people are ranking Georgia's offensive line as the top one, two, or three offensive line in the country. So you can't necessarily take reports of Georgia's defensive line possibly not doing great every day as as terrible news because – Number one, the offensive lines are so good, and and I think with Logan there, you you might have to call the defense a, a little bit different. I mean, I mean, there's only one Jordan Davis that comes around every however many years, so 
I mean, you may have to call it a little bit different. You may have to generate more pass rush, like we were talking about earlier, from the defensive line with with these quicker guys like Carter and Ingram Dawkins and and Michael. I mean, you, you might see more stunts and 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 stuff like that to to generate pressure from the from the defensive line instead of using, you know, the huge three hundred fifty pounder in the middle. Not that. I think Zion Logan and a good ball player or anything like that, but he's obviously not Jordan Davis. Well, to to your point, I mean, like he only had a hundred snaps. I'm sorry, no wait, Zion had 130 snaps and he got a PFF grade of 81. So, um, you know, it, he's going to be okay, and we're blessed to have, you know, Jalen anchoring it down. I don't think there's going to be much of a problem with the defensive line. It's definitely one of our, I think, the strongest position group. Most, well, maybe not the strongest at year's end, but certainly one of the most secure, I think. Um, so I'm, I'm ready to see these guys ball out. Yeah, it actually uh, kind of plays into another question that we got from uh, our friend Axe. He asked – he would like to know what influences Will Muschamp may have on the defense this year, being that he's slightly more of a 4-3 type coach than an odd front guy traditionally um and yeah i mean I, I think jason and josh you guys sort of nailed it already in terms of like i, I you just there's not many 330 to 50 pound guys like jordan davis that you're you know is going to generate a pass rush as a you know a zero tech or a, a three tech right like it's just doesn't happen that much that's why he was the 15th pick of the nfl draft um but I do think you might see Georgia with some heavier, heavier looks on the line of scrimmage where you might see like a four of, uh, of Zion at the nose and Carter at DT and uh, guys like Ingram Dawkins and Williams at the edge. Some instead, of, like Georgia played a lot of mint front last year, which is basically, uh, you know, bringing down the Jack outside linebacker and, you know, playing them uh, on one of the edges opposite of where, like, Trevon Walker was playing, where, you know, Walker was a a 280-pound defensive end and then bringing a guy like Nolan Smith or Robert Beal down to be your true uh, edge rush type player, whereas, you know, Walker, you're you're kind of asking him to keep contain and and be more gaps down. So I think you might see um, a little less of the mint stuff at times, but you're definitely going to see, you know, you're definitely going to see plenty of Nolan Smith and Robert Beal and those guys, especially in obvious passing situations. Like they're going to want those guys to come screaming off the edge and, and force the ball out quick. So a little bit of it is, I think, going to depend on just what these guys look like when you, you know, get them all on the field against Oregon. But I have heard good things about, uh, Zion Logue's camp so far, and I, I think that, you know, he can definitely uh, occupy the middle of an offensive line and, like, create, you know, force teams into double-teaming him and, you know, do enough there to allow those inside linebackers to, to scrape off of his backside and come and fill the gaps. Um, all right. Next I think Robert Beal – I think Robert Beal is just going to have a ball out here, dude. I just I'm excited to see him. I mean, I know it's a little off topic, but I, I think we're gonna be our D line is gonna be awesome. 
Yeah, I think I think that he will. I mean, just like he led the team in sacks last year, and you know he really didn't play until like the last month of the season. So yeah, um, t- 22, 22 pressures on just three hundred snaps. So yeah, yeah, sorry. Awesome. Uh, how will the return of Mike Bobo impact the offense? They're gonna run the damn ball with a bunch of fullbacks. That's the answer. No, I'm just kidding. Um, does it does it run the damn one? draw play? Uh, is he is he coaching players or is he an analyst? I can't. I'm He's an analyst. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think. Go ahead, Jason. I see you unmuted. No, you're good. I didn't mean to. Uh, you know, there was actually Monken actually talked about it in his press conference last week. Uh, what he, how he and 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 Bobo are working together, and and I think I don't think you're going to really see it because I think this is Monken's offense to call, you know. Like, and I think what Bobo is probably giving him is just insight to you know different players around the league. I think he's bringing a lot of knowledge and and you know tendencies and stuff like that. So I don't think it's really going to. I don't think you're going to see a third and seventeen draw play or anything like that. But um, you know, I, I just don't think – I don't think you're going to – it's not going to be noticeable. Any, there's not going to be noticeable change. He was brought in here for to do a lot of things, but putting his fingerprints on the offense is not one of them, is my opinion. I'm not an insider, but uh, that's how – he's an analyst, and I don't think he's going to sh- show up on Saturdays. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like all of the analysts, you know, he may find a matchup advantage at some point. Um, the, the only one spot that I would – kind of say maybe he's gonna like you might see something just different than what you saw last year is uh you know he's a guy that has has had some really good tight ends in his career and has used them in creative ways and uh you know I think with all of the tight end talent that Georgia has you may like see you know see some moments or some different formations or different, you know, different action with those guys that, that maybe he contributed to, but uh, chances are we'll never know that it was him that, that made that contribution. Right. I mean, I I think what's become abundantly clear in Athens over the last two years is like Todd Monken is in charge of the offense and um, you know, everyone, everyone, I think, you know, sort of falls, falls in line to, to help him. Um, that's not to say that they don't challenge each other and ask each other questions, but this is, this is his team when it comes to how the offense is going to run. So just so we're clear, <laughs> third and 12, no draws with 160 pound tailback. I mean, I can't make any promises. Well, just let me know who to attack when that happens. <laughs> you mean you mean second you mean second and goal from the two in South Carolina we can't do a play action? A full triggered. triggered triggered. Yeah, it's a deep cut, Dustin. Both emotionally and Gator Hater is in here. I was standing right beside him in the pouring down rain after many lightning delays watching that. So with yeah, Gurley nonetheless. It was a bad day for all of us. Um Okay. Uh Another question from from our buddy X. Uh, who does Georgia de- designate to spy Bo Nix like they did when we had Adam Anderson? That's a good question. Does anybody have a thought on that? 
And you don't think it's going to be the obvious choice of Nolan Smith or, I mean, I guess he's not going to spy him. I'm looking at our roster here. I think, like, yeah, I, I think, you know, Adam Anderson, uh, I watched a uh, Kirby coaching clinic a couple of years ago kind of talking about when Anderson was a uh, a true freshman. You know, it was just like, how do we find a way to keep this guy engaged and get him on the field? And part of that was having him work as a spy on, on third down situations and basically just follow the quarterback and keep contain. I think – that you could see, you know, a, a guy like a like a Marvin Jones Jr. I'm trying to think more about some of these like young outside linebackers, a, a Chaz Chambliss. I mean, you, you want it. I mean, it's got to be somebody that's got elite foot speed, right? Like Adam Anderson ran a, a four four, um, and you know, Bo Nix. For as much as everyone likes to, you know, kind of joke and make fun of Bo Nix, like. He's a hell of an athlete, and he'll make you pay if you lose contain on him. Uh, so I, I think it, it could be like a Chambliss or a, a Jones. What do you think, is, Justin? Is, we, we may not do this just because he's a freshman and I'm not there at practice every day to see if he's ready or not. But if it's me and I'm strictly bringing him in on third down as a spy, I'm using Malachi Starks every time. Ooh, that's a good one. That is a good one. If this was 2023, it'd probably be Darius Smith. That's another one. Yeah. There's just so much talent kind of in that room. Um, I mean, I know that Starks isn't an outside linebacker, but still. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jason. You also have to think about uh, if he's ready, uh, Munden. Yeah, I was just looking at the chart, my depth chart here. I was going to ask if Mondin is is has got that skill set. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's like Kirby's been talking about just as many great inside linebackers as he's coached. Uh, that you know, Mondin is a different type of athlete, which would make me feel he would, you know, lend himself well to to that assignment. You, you know, it's a good question when. When when the questions asked, and then it's like eight to ten seconds of silence, <laughs> and then like seven or eight names. Yeah, it. Is, I mean, it is, and it's and it'll be fun to like since Starks came up. I mean, I think that's one that's very fascinating in terms of how Georgia is going to use him because I I think that he is going to play some meaningful snaps in that first game, and he is going to be in on some packages because he's too good not to be. But you know how do they, how do they use him is going to be really fascinating because like he, you know he kind of reminds me of sort of like Dax Hill from Michigan last year, um, where you know he's he's kind of that that tweener, but he also has coverage skills to be a a straight up safety and and he'll lick you up if you you know like he'll he'll hit you hard. Um, so I'll tell you this: if he can. If he can run step for step with Brock Bowers during practice and cover him, yep. he can keep up with Bo Nix. Yeah, 100% on that one. I agree with you there. Um, all right. I'm trying to see if we have anything else that has come up in the 
chat? I don't think so. I think we, unless you guys have seen a question that I haven't. Yeah, Gator Hater, my buddy Gator Hater, had a question about Kenny McIntosh receiving touchdowns over under at five. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot of catches for TDs. Uh, it is. But if, uh, but if Milton's banged up to start the year, I mean, heck, you know, you could have two in a game, you know, if he's carrying the ball and, and getting a lot of, like, I mean, that's the kind of play, if he's going to be on, it's gonna, it really depends on how many third downs you're going to be on. And, and if you're in that third down set, then, yeah, that gives a lot of opportunities to catch balls, I feel like. Yeah, I, I think that's a good one. Um, I I, I'm going to go under, but I think he's going to, I think he's going to have a lot of receiving yards. I just don't know how many of them will come in the red zone. But like one thing we know about Kenny McIntosh over the last few years is that uh, they often run him out on a pass route. If they're, if they're throwing the ball, like he's not really asked to stay in and pass block uh, too often. So um, I did just notice we have, I'm sorry, one, one person that had uh, requested to speak that I didn't see. Um, let me add you in here. Scribnox, old old buddy of mine here. Um, fire away, man. Chris, you're on. You just got to unmute your microphone. You, is that is that better? There you go. We all got right, you. Perfect. Uh, first of all, love you, bud. Uh, I'm coming here. I, uh, full disclosure, I am a Gator fan, Graham's former roommate. Uh, and I do sincerely congratulate y'all on winning the national championship last year. That was, uh, long overdue. Uh, my question is, is with, uh, Graham called, Graham called this like three years ago with Mullen, uh, not recruiting Florida. Um, good enough. And Napier now with with his twenty twenty uh twenty twenty three class, you know, basically all Florida. Like, how how much longer do you guys think you'll have a string hold over the SEC East? I mean, it's at least three years, in my opinion. Um, but I just want to hear from the Florida or from the Gator or from the Georgia perspective, how long y'all think you have? Fair enough. Chris, good to hear from you. Buddy. I love you, bud. Um, love you too, buddy. Hope you're doing I well. Um, good, good. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that Florida's been on a run in recruiting lately, right? Like, there's no doubt about that. Um, I do... I'm curious to see sort of what happens when the season comes around for them. Um, I think that opener against Utah is tough. And I think that like they need to beat Kentucky in week two and they, you know, they need to have a, uh, I don't think they need to have like a 10 or 11 win season, but I think they need to have like a, an eight or nine win season to kind of, you know, keep, keep belief and keep things going. Cause you Florida fans are tough, man. You guys will, uh, <laughs> you guys will eat a coach up quick if, if things aren't turning in the right direction, but I, I mean, it's still Georgia. uh, Like I I think still looking at Florida's recruiting class 
you know, your, your player average is it's getting better, but I mean, like you're, you're kind of right now in the, uh, in the range of some of Mullen's best classes. And so it's, it's a good question of like, how will this class close in 2023? Um, you know, I mean, they are into, they currently sit at number 10 in the country. I think Georgia sits two or three, depending on which service you subscribe to. So can they get to that spot where they're, you know, where they're recruiting top five classes and things kind of become even uh, is a, a good question. I do think signing in-state players is a good sign for them. You know, um, I think Napier is more welcome uh, in certain places in the state, it seems, than Mullen was. But I do uh, – I don't know. I, I mean, the the long the answer that you probably won't like is that like I think Napier is going to need to hire an offensive coordinator for the on field product to to reach its maximum potential. I don't, you know, and maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe he'll come out and have a smoking offense with with Richardson this year. But like I, looking at what he did at ULL, I don't love his his past history as an offensive coordinator. Um, I'd love to hear Jason's perspective on this, though, because he's much more well-versed in recruiting than I am. There we go. Sorry. My bad. No worries. Yeah. Um... Ooh. That's, a, that's a tough one because I think if somebody – takes the stronghold from Georgia anytime soon, I don't think it'll be Florida. And then part of the reason is coaching and part of the reason is recruiting. Uh, number one, I'm, and I, I think a lot of Georgia fans probably feel this way, and it may be different now than it was at Georgia, but I'm not sure how great of an offensive line coach Napier has. And and number two, recruiting is just so cutthroat right now. And unless you start playing well first, it's almost impossible to get the best recruits from Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and 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 everybody that comes into Florida, everybody that comes into the state of Georgia, and but especially everybody that comes into Florida. And especially with with Miami doing so well in recruiting right now, I mean, for for years upon years, it was either Florida, Florida State, or Miami's opportunity to take over the recruiting of Florida, and and nobody's done it until Miami's kind of doing it now. I, I think Florida's in a situation right now. I was I was talking to. Uh, my nephew, he's an Alabama fan. I was talking to him earlier about recruiting, and, uh, and and both of us said it's like some of the more interesting things now in recruiting is to see who's getting the leftovers after Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, whoever gets their pick. And, and, and it, it's like it rotates. You know, Tennessee was getting those four stars that, that kind of, you know, dropped through the cracks because they were – an inch and a half shorter than the six foot five guy that Alabama wanted or, or, or whatever, you know, Auburn took their 
took their turn of getting the, the leftover four stars in Georgia after Georgia got their pick. And and so it like rotates. So it seems like Florida is getting some of those guys that kind of were looked over in other places because, you know, they were 15 pounds lighter and an inch and a half shorter or whatever. But, but I think in, it's, it's like, it's like earlier, you're almost damned if you do, damned if you don't, you know, you had to win to get the top recruits, but the top recruits don't want to come unless you start winning. So, so he's going to have to do a damn good coaching job to start getting the cream of the crop recruits to take the reins from, you know, Georgia in the East, Alabama in the West. Yeah, and if you take that a step further and you look at their schedule and try to pencil out their for sure win, their for sure losses, you know, if you have them as an eight and four C one team and they could possibly go six and six or seven and five, you really think ninety five, ninety percent of this class stays together that they currently have on paper right now? Well, I th- I think they could right now just because it's just because it's earlier and, you know, you have the new coach thing that he can push and, you know, we're turning things around, blah, 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 that they can, you know, they have enough to sell right now that they could keep the class together, which would be a dang good class, but it's still not that type of Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State class that you want to see to be able to take over. Yeah. I, I am curious. You you made a comment. Uh, you said if if Georgia loses the hold on the East, you don't think it'll be Florida who takes it from who? Who would you think it would be? Tennessee. I do. I, I think. I think if I don't think it happens still, just because for some of the same reasons. Uh, number one, including debt. I mean, when 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 you play teams like Georgia and Alabama, and they're bringing five stars off the bench, and and you're bringing in, you know. Some of these, some of these other guys, obviously, they're ten times the player I ever was because they're playing college football, and I'm sitting here talking on the podcast. But you know, not to talk bad about any players or that don't have five stars beside their name or anything like that. It's just a, it's a different animal making it to the top. I mean, you see how long it took Georgia to do it. For sure, yeah. I mean, you know, Tennessee. Uh, what they're doing like I, I said back in I don't know spring or whenever uh the um they, they were able to sign Nico I was like you know if they start signing defensive linemen of you know high caliber and, and offensive linemen of, of high caliber then like you know I'll start paying attention and they they are starting to bring in some of those guys I mean not at the rate that a Georgia or an Alabama is but uh they're definitely having some success right now so well, and, and, and that's actually the main thing. I mean, obviously, you know, you always want the best quarterbacks and, and all that good stuff. But, I mean, if you really look at it and, God, not to bring up old stuff and start an entirely different conversation, but if you really look at it, some of the main problems that we had under Mark Rick when we played Alabama, they they – killed us in the trenches, absolutely demolished us in the trenches. And and it was some of the same when we first started with Kirby Smart until Sam Pittman got his guys in and got these big maulers in. I mean, it was it was some of the same, and everybody was like, oh, Kirby Smart's no different than Mark Rick. And, you know, you everybody heard all of it. 
But in, until we started recruiting the trenches like we did, we 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 didn't win at all. We didn't take over like like that. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, I mean, I, that's and I think that was the first thing that Kirby Smart, you know, really brought up when he came to Georgia was was beefing up the trenches and thank God for Sam Pittman doing that on the offensive line and guys like Jordan Davis, you know, uh, like we just talked about, there's just not many of them. Um, last question of the night before we close uh, from our buddy bank six. He was in here last week. He asks what any possibility that Kamari Lasseter ends up being the best corner on this team this year and not Ringo. Um, I have an answer to this, but I'll, I'll let you guys fire away first. Uh, I'm, I, Graham, I know you've been reporting it. I've been hearing it from, you know, all over Twitter that he's having a great camp. And I think it depends. Like if Ringo is as good as is lives up to that incredible potential he has, then he's not going to get the ball thrown to him because they're going to go to the other side of the field. So, therefore, I think, you know, Lasseter is going to be the next guy up, kind of like Ringo was last year with DK on the other side. So, absolutely. I think stats-wise, um, Lasseter has a chance to make some plays, get some PBUs, some, you know, some, lots of tackles, some picks. And that may be not that he's better than Ringo. It just means that Ringo's that good. That's interesting, yeah. Um I think Ringo's a really interesting guy. Like he is a uh, elite, elite, elite level athlete. Um, you know, he is not sticky like a, a Derek Stingley or, you know, some, some of the corners maybe in the past that George has had, like he's not a champ Bailey kind of guy where he's just going to be in your hip pocket all day. Cause he, he's just a little bit stiffer than that. And so, you know, I, I think uh, athletically, He's everything that, you know, you could want. I think he's a great defensive player and he hits guys really hard, but he is a little bit different just in terms of how you play him. And I think, you know, uh, you look at what Georgia did with him last year. Uh, he He's a little bit more comfortable in zone coverage at times than he is in man. Um, you know, there, there's just things about him that are different than your traditional idea of like a, a lockdown boundary corner. I think he has a long future playing professional football, but, you know, maybe he ends up uh, playing kind of one of those tweener sort of positions or a a sort of safety at the next level. Um, So, you know, I I think like Lassiter may end up being more, you know, more of that sort of traditional prototype as a corner where he is a little more sticky in man coverage. And um, yeah, he's a little, bit closer to to what you think of when you think of you know a, just a, what a defensive back is and does um yeah like Lassiter it sounds like lately in practices has been the guy that has had uh the most success at times covering A.D. Mitchell um you know A.D. Mitchell has has had everybody on skates at at different points this this camp and so I think that bodes very well for him. Uh, it definitely seems like if the season were to start right now, he would likely be the guy that that would be lining up at that cornerback position opposite of Ringo. But, uh, 
it, it'll be interesting. I don't know that I would go so far as to say, you know, he'll be the the best corner on the team, but I, I think they're, they're two guys who kind of have different skill sets and uh, they'll complement each other well, hopefully for Georgia's sake. All right. Unless Jason or Dustin or Josh has anything to say, I'm going to close this out. Thank you guys all for joining us and all of the uh, really thoughtful questions. I uh, think, Thank you all who have subscribed to Dog Central. And, you know, thank you guys for supporting that project. Uh, if you don't know about Dog Central or haven't checked it out, please do. DogCentral.com. Uh, we, we do have plenty of free articles up. We also uh, have a subscriber forum where we're posting practice notes every day. And Jason is dropping a lot of really, really good recruiting intel. Uh, he's been on top of quite a few things uh, before before anyone else. So uh, our launch special is still running six months for $33 and 18 cents. Really good deal. It's basically, you know, five fifty for five fifty a month for more than a season's worth of college football coverage. And uh, we're joined over there by the guys from my, my got a podcast and hundred Sanford. So there's a, over a dozen of your favorite kind of independent UGA content creators have all come together to, to do something cool that I think is bringing a great value to Georgia fans. Um, so for those of you that are, that are coming, checked it out. Thank you. And for those of you that haven't, we hope you will. Uh, 